Well, good morning. It is a joy to be back with you uh, again, and I want to thank uh, Jim and Jason for allowing me the opportunity to be here uh, with you uh, again uh, this morning. And one of the things I love about uh, gathering with you all is how God's Word is central uh, to everything that you all do, uh, and that is so, uh, so encouraging and uh and so this morning we come to the, um, the high point of our time together, uh, the preaching of the Word of God. And I am excited to preach from Genesis 16 uh, this morning. And so if you would take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Once again, my family is... Uh, here with me this morning, as usual, we take up two rows, and so it's a joy for that, and uh, my beautiful wife is here, and um, the Lord has blessed us 17 years, we married 17 years uh, together, and I'm still chasing after her, and she's chasing after me also. In Genesis 16... I'm going to pray. Uh, Before I pray, um, I want you to take a few moments just to think. Think about life. This morning we're going to unpack a story of two individuals, actually three, who were living out their faith in a real world, real time. And one decision led to their lives spiraling out of control. And the same is true of you and I in 2017. We're seeking to live out our faith in real time, in a real world. And there are times in your life in which it seems as though life was spiraling out of control. And there will be times in your life when life's just spiraling out of control. And so this morning, before I pray, I just want you to think about your life. What do you see? What's going on right now? What's been going on this year, this month, this week? What do you see? What's happening in the world? You think about the world or your family, maybe with your spouse or school, past hurts, sin struggles. Maybe there's something at work, a relationship with a coworker or a supervisor or a manager. What do you see? What do you see? When you woke up this morning, what was on your mind? Something happened last week as you think about moving forward. What do you see? Think about that. I'm going to give you about five seconds and then I'm going to pray. You are the God who sees. And as we come to your word right now, Father, You know everyone's story that is sitting under the sound of my voice. 
And Father, they need to hear from you. And so I pray, Father, that you would open up Genesis 16. I pray that we would have a great time walking through this story. Holy Spirit, would you use it to instruct us and challenge us? May it give us hope. May it heal some pain and hurts that some may have right now as they think. May it give us hope in Christ. And may we leave here, dear Father, as a people, knowing that you are the God who sees. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we look this morning to Genesis 16, the point uh, this morning that I want you to hear, that I desire, and I know the Holy Spirit will be at work also, is this. When life is spiraling out of control, remember the God who sees, that he is compassionately in control. When life is spiraling out of control, remember the God who sees, who is compassionately in control of what you see and how it fits into what he wants to see. He is in control of what you see and he fully knows how it fits into what he wants to see from the Earthly perspective, God wants to see, as it says in John 6, 39 and 40, all those that the Father has given to him will be raised up on the last day and he will not lose one. And he wants to see that and it's going to happen. And there's other verses we could look at. From the earthly perspective, God wants to see you who are in Christ that your light would shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And he wants to see in you, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. That's what he wants to see. So this morning as we come to Genesis 16, you and I will see this story through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll see this story as men and women who've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And we'll hear this story as men and women who have been born again, who are part of a healthy local church, who understand the grand story of the Bible. We have Genesis to Revelation. We know how it ends. We may not know all the details, but we have the complete story. And so we come to this story with all of that. But Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, they didn't have that same lens. They didn't understand fully the move of God. They were experiencing God in real time. Nothing was written down. They had nothing to refer to. They had no pastor or elders to talk to. They had no small group, no Bible app, no commentary. They had none of those things. They were living out a promise from God. And so as we come to this text, let us come humbly. So to protect us from the posture of I would not have done that. 
And let us come humbly so that we can not say, how could they have done that? But let us come humbly. And let us be mindful, as it says in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this morning, I preach for your joy. I preach for your hope in the grand story of Scripture. I preach for your hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I preach so that your soul would be comforted, and I preach so that you may comfort one another when life spirals out of control. And so we come to 16. You're familiar with the background, but let me just remind you there was, we can go all the way back to Genesis 3. You remember sin came into the world. and God made a promise he was going to send one to crush the head of Satan. And from that point on, they're looking, who's going to be the one? Some have said the rest of the Bible is a commentary as the one who would crush Satan's head. So we wait as the promise of God unfolds. And when we get to Genesis 12, he calls Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram obeys and God gives him a promise. He was going to make of him a great nation. His name would be great. He would be a blessing. And through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And Abraham obeys and leaves his country. And so they are going to have a child and he's going to be a blessing. But when we get to Genesis 15, Abram and Sarah have not conceived. And he gets another word. Abram asks him, what about Eleazar of Damascus? He's in my house. What about him? And God tells him, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And the Lord says, no, he will not be your heir, but one will come from your own body, shall be your heir. So he's got some promises from God. And when we come to Genesis 16, verse 1 says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. What a story. God's promises have come in 12 and in 15 and 16. The cliffhanger, no children. They're living life every day, providing for their family, eating, resting, cleaning, buying, selling, trying to conceive a child. All of this while they're holding on to the promise of God. You and I do not have a direct promise like they had at all. But we live life. We go to work. We go to school. We go to the doctor's office. We go to sporting events. We have cookouts. We go on vacation. We take our cars to get inspected. We cut grass. We write papers. We prepare for finals. We have Meetings, we meet deadlines, and we do all kind of things while holding on to the promises that you hear week in and week out as Jim preaches from this pulpit. 
Real faith, real time, real world. You hold on to things like Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You hold on to 1 John 1, 9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, when we sin, we can confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You hold on to those promises. You hold on to promises like Luke 18. We ought to always pray and not lose heart. And you do that in a real world and a real time. You hold on to the promise of, of, of the future where Christ will return to inflict judgment. It says in 2 Thessalonians, you hold on to the promises in Revelation 21 where he will wipe every tear from your eye and death shall be no more, no more mourning or crying. You and I hold on to the promises of God. But sometimes, like Abram and Sarai, we wonder what in the world is God doing? What is he doing? And we ask questions like, how long, Lord? Like David in Psalms 18, how long, O oh Lord? Will you hide your face from me? How long? Or maybe we see commands and promises and scriptures and rather than trust in them, we tweak them or we work around them or spiritualize our own sinful impatience. We look for earthly fixes to eternal promises. Maybe that's you this morning. What were you thinking about when I asked you? What do you see? What came to your mind? Maybe for you, the promises of God, they get a head nod or a silent amen of praise every Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, your life, you live life in your own strength at times, to be honest. And there are times you have a good Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday was a little struggle. Thursday was okay. Friday, it's near the weekend. Saturday's all right. Oh, we made it to Sunday. Here we have a husband and a wife, and they're having a hard time seeing how God's promise would be worked out through them. Let's look at the verse again. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. No children. The character of God, from their viewpoint, is on the line right now. Is he faithful? Can he be trusted? But then the verse says, she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarah sees a problem to God's promise she has not conceived. But she also sees a fix to her problem, Hagar. Hagar. And so in verses 2 through 4, it says, So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband. 
Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. Let's stop there. In verse 3, it tells us it's been 10 years. They'd been in Canaan for 10 years. For 10 years, they've had the promise. For 10 years, they've tried to conceive. 10 years. 10 years. Sarah rightly acknowledges in verse 2, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. The God who sees is the God who is sovereign. Be encouraged. The God who sees is the God who is sovereign. And the sovereignty of God acts like a double-edged sword sometimes. There's joy with it, and there's also wonder and pain and frustration. You don't understand everything, but God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God can be hard to grasp when life does not work out from our earthly perspective. It can be hard when our hopes, our dreams, our desires are out of control. When our resources, our friendships, our knowledge is limited, it can be hard. But God is sovereign. And at times, God's answer to our request is yes. And at times, it's no. And at times, it's wait. Ten years. Ten years. Ten Super Bowl champions. Ten years. Two presidential elections. It's been 10 years. Your child was a freshman in high school in 2007. They graduated in 2011, and they graduated from college in 2015. That's only eight years. You've accumulated four weeks of vacation on your job for being there 10 years. It's been 10 years. 10 years trying to conceive. 10 years they've been waiting What do you see? What do you see? What's going on in your life? What's going on? Like I said, we don't have a direct word like Abram and Sarah, but there's some real things going on. Maybe it's asking for an open door for a new job. You want a loved one healed or you need to be healed from an illness. Maybe you want God to restore a broken relationship. Maybe you want the Lord turn the heart of my child. Turn them to Christ. You've been praying for 10 years. You're waiting for clarity concerning a decision you have to make, and you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and it's been a while. Sarah sees a fix to her problem. Sarai at this moment puts her hope in Hagar. Maybe Hagar can fix the problem. Once again, be careful. Don't say, I would not have done that. Don't say, how could she? Be careful. Abram heeded the voice of his wife. They collectively rejected the wisdom, timing, and character of God. And at this moment in our story, Like every moment in which we're at the crossroads of having to make a decision in life between obedience to the word of God and disobedience to the word of God. The question that comes to our souls, who do you love?
Who do you love? Who do you love? It boils down to that question. Who do you love? What do you see? Now I ask you, who do you love? Who do you love? May you lean into love of the God who sees. Lean in to love him and to trust him and to obey him. Sarah and Abram's decision at the moment of the problem gave birth to a new problem. The problem is not the child. Hagar conceived the problem. The baby was not the problem. The conception birthed jealousy and unkindness. And so we see in verse 4b through 6. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Verse six. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Interesting here, it says that when Hagar conceived that Sarai became despised in her eyes. Don't know why. Doesn't give us any information as to why she did. But she came despised. It's possible they had a great relationship before this. It's possible. But something has changed. Something has changed here. Maybe Hagar has a chip on her shoulder, you know. Ten years, you couldn't do it. Look at me now. She'd become despised. I've often read this story and looked at it. Sarah, why did you do, how could you do that? But uh, Hagar doesn't get off in this one at all. Sarah and Abram were not saints in their response back to Hagar. They were unkind to her. Abram is nonchalant in his position. He left Hagar in the hands of Sarah. Yeah, you deal with her. Dealt harshly with her. And the treatment was so bad in verse 6, it says she fled from her presence. She fled. She fled. Uh, One of my favorite movies is The Karate Kid. I'm talking about the original Karate Kid with Daniel LaRusso. Now, the new one's okay. I like it, but Daniel LaRusso. And if you remember in that movie, The Karate Kid, one of my favorite scenes is when Daniel LaRusso is riding home. And if you remember, he's on his BMX bike. This BMX bike has some huge wheels. And he's riding home. Everything is fine. And then you hear some motorcycles. Dirt bikes come riding up behind him. It's the Cobra Kai. And the Cobra Kai surround Daniel LaRusso, and they're, they're on, a, on a hill, and they surround him, and they push him off. And he falls off his bike, and he rolls down, boom, 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 he gets all the way to the bottom. And in the next scene, Daniel LaRusso's mom arrives, and as she arrives home, Daniel is taking his bike, and he's throwing it into the trash can, and he is upset. He is mad. 
And his mom comes up to him. She's loving where they are now. Things are going great for her. But Daniel Russo is getting beat up at school. The Cobra Kai are having their way with him. And she says, what's going on? And Daniel says, I hate it here. I want to go home. I want to go home. Things were so bad. All they could say, I want to get out of here. I want to flee. It was bad. Hagar said, I got to get out of here. I got to flee. I got to flee. Christ Church Roseville made the scenes we've just looked at in the first six verses. May they instruct us that nothing good ever comes from disobeying the word of God. Nothing does. And we know that and we need to be reminded of that. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, don't do it. If you've disobeyed God's word this week, everyone's hand, two hands, everyone would go up, feet would go up. Everything would go up. Yes, we have. There's nothing good that comes from disobedience to God's Word. Once again, we don't have that direct command as Abram and Sarah have, but we have the whole counsel of God. Christ Church Roseville, you know this, but it's always good to be reminded. Let us walk in humble obedience to God's word. Jesus said, you are his friend if you do what he commands. John 15, 14, 1 John 2, 3 says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Our commandments do not say, the keeping of the commandments do not save us, but they are the fruit of our justification. They give evidence that we know him. Obedience to his commands. In Christ Church, Roseville, may this scene in our story instruct us that our sinful decisions are not just personal. They have the potential to impact other people, especially those who are close to us. Abram, Sarai, and Hagar are all walking in the consequences of their role they each played when they sinned. But Christ Church Roseville, may you be encouraged. We have more to look at in this story, but I want to stop right now. I want to encourage you in Christ. I want to encourage you that the God who sees is also the God who sees you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is the God who sees that you're at peace with the Father, for you've trusted in Jesus Christ. For he is the one who sees that you have been justified. And so may you be encouraged. Maybe what you see right now, you're struggling with it and you're questioning and you're just wrestling with it. May the scriptures encourage your soul that in Christ, it is not your righteousness, but it is the righteousness of Christ. And may you and I be encouraged that Christ has paid for our sins on the cross. He has paid. He has satisfied God's wrath. Your pain, your struggles, your frustration, whatever it is, it doesn't pay for your sins. Christ did that. So Hagar has fled. Abraham and Sarah's fix of the problem has left. They're back where they started. No job. 
It seems as though life is spiraling out of control. And when life spirals out of control, the question we all ask, where is God? Where is God? God did not show up to open Sarai's womb. God did not show up to stop Sarai and Abram from using Hagar, as far as we know from the story of what has been revealed to us. God didn't show up to bring peace in the family. He could have. Where is God? If God is all powerful, shouldn't he show up? If God is a healer, shouldn't he show up and heal? If God is all knowing, shouldn't he show up before tragedy? If God is a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hill, shouldn't he show up and supply all of my needs? Where's God? Where's he at? There's a gospel singer named Dottie Peoples who has a very famous song. It's called, He's an On-Time God. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Job said he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there. He'll be right on time. I tell you, he's an on-time God. And so verses 7 through 16, he is the God who sees the past, the present, and the future of you, specifically here of Hagar. The God who sees is the God who's sovereign, and he's the God in control. So verse 7 says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. At the right time, God showed up, the angel of the Lord. Some commentators say it's a theophany, the visible appearance of God. In verse 13, that Jason read earlier, it says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also, have I also here seen him who sees me? The Lord showed up and was speaking to her and he asked her a question. Where have you come from and where are you going? He knew where she came from. He knew where she was going. Hagar says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. She's fleeing. It's interesting because the text doesn't tell us if anyone cared that she left. Doesn't say Abraham said, send out some of my men to find her. Gone. Gone. Have you ever felt like no one cared when life happens? Have you ever felt like no one was thinking about you? Have you ever felt hopeless? You know, our feelings fluctuate. They go up and down at times based on our circumstances, not denying our feelings. But what you and I need to continue to do, and it's good to be reminded of, is to iron out our feelings with good biblical truth. Good biblical truth. And that's why one of the things I love about leaders here is they open up the scriptures from the opening all the way to the closing. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, what they know, what they want you to hope in is not them, but in the God who sees and in the word of God. So take in God's word. 
So you got to be here on Sunday. You got to be here to hear your elders preach. You got to be at small group. Take in God's word. You need it. You never know when you're going to need it. There may be something that Jim or Jason has taught a year ago, and you're not going to need it until five years from now. You need God's word. You need to be reminded of Psalms 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God, you know what the people were thinking when I asked him, what do you see? He knows. He knows. And so God, in verses 11 through 12, he tells her about her son, Hagar. It's interesting. He said he's going to be a boy. No sonogram, no ultrasound. It's a boy. It is a boy. He knew the child would grow up. He knew how he was going to live, how he would interact with him. Don't miss all that God sees. He knows it all. He knows everything. And there are times in life when God is silent, but that doesn't mean that God is ignorant. The God who sees is speaking. May you find comfort that when your soul and when life is spiraling out of control, the God who sees is in control. He is in control. And at times that perspective is crystal clear. Probably right now on Sunday morning, it is crystal clear. You realize he's the God who sees. But then there are times when that from your perspective, is very blurry, even for me. And we're not mindful of him. It's like driving in a rainstorm and we're struggling to see the road ahead of us. The window wipers, we cook them up to one. Oh, that's not working. Two. No, that's not working. Three. And that's not working. Four. We got it all the way up to five. They're going fast. They're going real fast. People in front of us, they got their flashes on, you know. People are moving to the side because we can't see it. And sometimes it's like that in life. The truth be told. It's like that. Christchurch, Roseville, life will spiral out of control. It could be minor, it could be major. There has never been and there will never be a time when God is not fully aware of everything that is taking place in life. He is the God who sees. And he saw what you would see. He sees what you see. And he sees what you do not see. He sees it all. He is the God who sees. The God who sees may intervene immediately or it may take some time. There's no guarantee. He is the God who sees and he's in control. It says in Psalms 115, God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He may intervene immediately by reminding you of this story in Genesis 16. He may intervene by reminding you of stories preached by Jim or Jason or others. Or the God who sees may intervene immediately by bringing to remembrance this one phrase, I'm the God who sees. And that's all he gives you. I'm the God who sees. It's interesting, verse 9, God says to Hagar, go back. Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. He tells her to go back. Interesting. 
You remember why she left? Because it was hard. She wasn't being treated right. God tells her to go back and submit. But think about how she's going back. She's going back with the knowledge that he's the God who sees. Why can she submit? Because I know of the God who sees. She's going back with knowledge about who God is. Christ Church Roseville at times, all we may have to move through life is the knowledge of God. That's it. And so she has to go back. Now, this is not a universal command. This was a specific command for her to go back. And there may be situations in life in which the Lord may call you to go back. But that's not what the text is saying. It's not universal. That's why it's good to have the wisdom of other brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially your elders, as you have to make decisions about things. What should I do? And so please hear me. This is not a universal command to go back, whatever the situation is. It's a general command, in a general sense. Christ Church Roseville. It's beautiful because she does go back. And she gives birth to a son, Ishmael. And you know how the story ends. Abraham and Sarah, they do have a child, Isaac. And God's plan works itself out. The God who sees is under no obligation to tell us how he may deal with ways possibly we've been hurt by other people or things that happened in our lives. He's under no control to tell us that. But he is the God who sees. May you know that God's eternal plans are never hindered by earthly problems and challenges at all. The plan of God is unfolding and it's working out and it's good. It is very good. There's still more to come. If we look in Hebrews, you think about Hebrews where Moses says of, of Moses, he was mindful of things to come. Because of the one that came through Abram and Sarai and through Isaac and Jacob, it is Jesus Christ. The fix we all need was the coming of Christ. This morning you may be here and your life is spiraling out of control because of sin. And the Bible says that coming here doesn't fix you. Sitting down doesn't sit you. Singing songs, putting money to offering doesn't fix you at all. The fix is outside of yourself. It is in God's faithfulness, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can fix the problem between you and the Father in heaven. Why? Because you need a perfect life. Christ lived a perfect life. You need someone to 
pay for your sins, Christ did that also. Christ did both things for you. Perfect life, perfect death. You can't do either one of them. Jesus Christ satisfies them both. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And so this morning, if you're here, the God who sees, sees if you're right with him, and he sees if you're not. And he says right now, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And so Christ Church Roseville, as I bring this to a close, the God who sees, the God who sees is the God who's in control. When life is spiraling out of control, remember the God who sees is compassionately in control of what you see and how it fits into what he wants to see. Let's pray.